Heavenly Father, teach us what it means to live in the resurrection. Or teach us what it means to be a community that isn't defined by scarcity, but rather by your overabundance displayed on Easter Sunday. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the year I graduated from college, I had this kind of slow dawning revelation or realization. Because as a young Christian growing up, the Lenten season of repentance and discipline and sacrifice always connected with me deeply for some reason. I would have very much said that I was kind of a Good Friday Christian. And this Good Friday Christian Christianity, understanding of life, helped me understand the broken world around me. It was really helpful. I got a lot of mileage out of it. Because Good Friday gives us a lens through which to understand the fallen world. Death, suffering, war, hatred, disease, all of these things we see on the cross. As Christ goes to the cross, enters into our suffering, suffers with us and for us. But, as a Good Friday Christian, especially in my college years, I started to really struggle with a sense of hopelessness because I saw everything through a Good Friday lens. And then came the slow dawning realization. God moved in me and started showing me that as central as Good Friday is to our faith, there's an even more important event in the Christian story that helps us reinterpret what happened on Good Friday. I realized that what I had done is I'd embraced Good Friday Christianity, but I had neglected Easter Sunday Christianity. So I began this year-long process after I graduated from college of wrestling with this question. How then does the resurrection reframe my understanding of the world? As Christians, how do we live not just cross-shaped lives, but also resurrection-shaped lives? How does the resurrection refashion the way we see suffering in the world and the suffering that we're going through? Because yes, we are Good Friday Christians, but even more so, we are Easter Sunday Christians. We're resurrection people, because Good Friday always spills into Easter Sunday. And that's why in the Anglican Church, we have 40 days of Lent. But then we have 50 days of Easter. And a joke that my pastor used to, to tell is that his brother-in-law uh, was saying, hey man, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up a big sacrifice for, for Lent. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up drinking beer. And he was like, okay, that's interesting, man. And he walked with him through that time. And then he called him on Easter Sunday, and my pastor called him on Easter Sunday. He's like, all right, we got 50 days of Easter, so you got to drink a beer every single day throughout Easter, um, which that's a little ridiculous example, obviously, but it shows us that we have 40 days of Good Friday, but we have, we have 50 days of Easter. We are resurrection people. And today, our, this Easter season, we're going to be exploring these implications, um, we're doing a sermon series called Resurrection Life. And we're going to be looking at what does everyday life look like as Easter people? How does the resurrection reframe and reshape our understanding of our faith in the world we live in? Today we're going to be talking about death to scarcity. And we're going to be looking at no more secrets, not afraid, break from busy, no VIPs, and when the world's against you. 
And so how does the resurrection reshape our life? That's what we're going to be looking at today in our text. In Acts 4, 32 through through 37, we're going to be looking at how the resurrection does two things. First, it empowers the people of God. But then we're also going to see how it shapes the people's understanding of open-handed generosity. We see some amazing things happening in the early church because of the resurrection. So follow along with me in Acts 4, 32 through 33. We're going to just kind of unpack a little bit of the implications of this. Acts 4, 32 through 33. We hear that the early Christians, it says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. So there's a unity there. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. So here we see this. The resurrection life empowers the people of God. It gives us a new power for living. And to understand the context of what's happening here, these, these disciples are, are going out and proclaiming, and they're giving, away, um, they're giving away their goods for the sake of those who are in need. But this wasn't an easy time in church history. If you look it up in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, you see that John... And Peter had just been imprisoned. They'd been arrested and they'd gone through before a tribunal just like Christ had. And so at this point you think, well, the the right thing for the church to do would be to go into hiding and to kind of start, you know, piling up all of their goods and that kind of stuff and just hunkering down and and bunkering down and, and getting set for the pain to come. But they don't do that. When Peter and John get released, they gather all the church together and they pray. And they ask for boldness to continue to proclaim the resurrection, the story of the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit falls and it actually trembles the room that they're in. And in our passage, we see that it says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how did they get that empowerment? How did they do that? Because resurrection life empowers the people of God. It gives us a new power. Because of this, the disciples had seen what those officials did to Jesus. They seen the power that they wielded over him. But on Easter Sunday, they saw the power of God that's more powerful than anything else in this world. And so they didn't fear because they knew that even if they were put to death, God had the power to rise them from the dead. So the resurrection life empowers us as people of God. And then we see this strange thing bubble up out of this resurrection power. When the power of the resurrection comes to to home in our hearts, it changes things. Because God, we see God now has the power to preserve our life. God has the the power to preserve and sustain all things about our life. Even our possessions, our financial worries. Because this is what happens. When we grasp the power of the resurrection, it actually weakens the, the other things that have power over us. It weakens especially the power of money. Because, I don't know about you guys, but I see money as my means of preserving life. 
I don't oftentimes view God as, hey, you are the preserver of my life. I think my money is, and so I need to, to save it up. There's a, there's a sense of scarcity that we have as humans, as a culture. That there's not enough to go around, so I need to save it up in order to preserve my life. And it, and it leads to this kind of closed-fisted understanding of the world that I need to keep mine, and if I receive something, I need to, to, to hold it in. But Christ... The resurrection shows us to have open hands. Because with open hands, we can both receive from God and actually give away to others. And that's what we see in the early church, is they're giving generously. And there's actually testimonies of, of uh, a, it was a poet who was making fun of the Christians. This was a Roman pagan poet who was making fun of the Christians because they were so generous. And so generosity marked the early church. And I don't know about you guys, but it's convicting for me. Because when I, I'll be honest, confession, when I write that tithe check, it's difficult. Because it requires me to have to trust God. And I want to kind of close my fist and say, God, you've only given me so much, I got to hold on to all of it. Or when I see a homeless guy in the street, I want to kind of hold it in. But God says, no, open the hands. Open the hands to receive from me and to give to others. So what the resurrection does is it puts to death this this scarcity mentality and shows us the abundance in Christ and especially that God will preserve us. He will preserve our life. And so here we see the scarcity mindset overturned in the early church. And if you struggle with this, I struggle with this. I want to encourage you that only the power of the resurrection only the power that God is the provider of all things, preserves our very life. That is what breaks the power of money in our life. So don't beat yourself up and whip yourself and feel really guilty and try to run to moralism, to I've got to do it, I've got to do it. Rather press into God and say, God, I want to trust you. I want to experience the power of the resurrection. Because resurrection life empowers the people of God. It did in the early church. It does for us. So we've seen the power of the resurrection and how it neutralizes the powers that bind us. But what's the practical effect of the resurrection reality on the early church? And then how does it play out in real life, in our lives? Well, here we see, like I was saying before, the resurrection's real-world impact on generosity. So I'm going to read verse 32 and then jump to 34 and 35. So if you're reading along, Feel free to read with me. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I'm just going to go ahead and say that's a miracle right there. That is the, a miracle of God. They had everything in common. This, then verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any as had needs. So what we see here is resurrection life creates a community with open hands, an open-handedness among the people of God. Because the reality is that God, there were some amazing things happening at this time in the church. God was healing people. The gospel was going forth. The Holy Spirit was falling. And so God could have said, well, I'm going to provide for the needy people in the church by 
creating money trees that grow outside of the, you know, the church buildings and anybody that's in need can go out and get the money. Well, he obviously didn't do that because in God's kingdom, the way that God provides for people is through people. The way that God provides for people is through people. That's the normative way that God provides for his people. And so how do we, how do we have an open-handed generosity? How can we kind of embody this way of life? And I want to give uh, two just suggestions for us as a church. And then I want to end with a question. The first suggestion is this. That in this account, implied here, we see that the needy people in the church were asking for help. They were open about their needs. And oftentimes in the Christian community, we can be very open about spiritual needs that we have. We're struggling with sin. We're struggling with this. But we feel some sort of inability or that it wouldn't be appropriate to talk about our financial needs, about the, the fact that we're struggling with our finances. But part of true fellowship means sharing in the struggles of your finances as a church. So if you're struggling, you don't need to struggle alone. If you feel like you're up to eye, your eyes in debt, you're not alone. If your marriage is struggling because of your financial finances, you're not alone. That's part of the struggle. Finances are part of the struggle, and people of God sometimes admit that they're struggling with that. So we did at my previous church, we did Financial Peace University. Are you guys familiar with that? Dave Ramsey, does that make sense to you? All right, Dave Ramsey is a little bit of a cheese ball if you've ever kind of seen him speak. And so I, I didn't know what to make out of it, but my wife and I were, you know, we were on a shoestring budget at the time. And so we needed some help with our finances. And so we went and we learned how to do finances. But there was this other transformative effect on the church as a whole and on my wife and I that we didn't expect through going through this course. What happened is that taking the course actually it actually caused people to be a little more open in the church about their struggles financially. And there was an openness with the people that were struggling and there was a, they were set free to know that they weren't struggling alone. And then it was really cool because a number of the people in the church who were a little more affluent said, okay, I'm going to come alongside you and try to help you out through this. Some of them gave of their time to help them figure out finances. Some of them gave financially. And so one of the things that we see here is that part of fellowship in Christ means sharing your struggles, even the financial struggles. Because resurrection life creates a community with open hands because God provides for his people through his people. Now the next uh, suggestion I want to throw out to you guys is that we do see in this passage, we see through Barnabas and a number of other Christians that, that there were people that were offering their possessions up to, to those in need. And this wasn't a forced kind of Christian communism. The apostles didn't say, hey, you guys need to start giving up. you rich. You need to start emptying your pockets for all the poor. That's not what was happening. It was a, an overflow of resurrection power of the rich in the community opening their hands, giving up this, this life of scarcity and saying, God, I trust that you're going to provide and I want to be a giver. And so for you guys, if you have some, some extra possessions, some, some unused items that are just hanging around your house, or if God has blessed you with financial resources, 
I want to ask you not to give, but to pray. Pray. Bring God into your understanding of your finances. Ask him, is there anything that I'm kind of holding on to that actually I could use to bless somebody else? An example of this um, for me was there was a couple at our previous church and they were not an affluent couple. Um, she was a teacher. Uh, he made tombstones, but they weren't, they weren't an affluent couple. But they were really big into biking and not uh, Harleys or anything, but just road bikes. And so they got um, some new bikes. They'd saved up money and got new bikes. And the old bikes that they had were sitting in the garage. And they started praying about, what do we want to do with these bikes? We're not using them. It's been a couple months. What do we do with these? And they prayed, should we, should we sell them and, and put the money into our mortgage? What should we do? And they prayed, and, and they sent from God to give them away, to bless somebody with this abundance that they had. And a couple days later, I got a call from Matthew Fletcher, who was the husband. And he knew Carrie and I were, I was on a youth minister salary. Um, Carrie was in school. He, we, he knew we were kind of, you know, just surviving by, you know, the, the seat of our pants. And he said, hey, Dan, do you guys have bikes? And I was like, no, we don't. We have these rust buckets downstairs, but they haven't been ridden in years. And he's like, well, I think God wants us to give you guys these bikes. Would you guys like them? And we were like, yeah. And it was amazing. And that summer, we went on a trip to Prince Edward Island, and we rode those bikes all over the island. And we still have them to this day and ride them. It was such a blessing to us. And a way to see that God provides for his people through his people. And that the resurrection life really does create a community with open hands. And so I want to end with this question. How are you still living with this scarcity mindset rather than in the power of the resurrection? And I want to show us an example. I have a video for us. I want to show us an example of a couple Christians who decided to, to live this way, to really trust God, to open their hands, to, to provide for them, and then to give to others. And this is a couple who, um, who started out with very little, so they had to step out in faith. It was through the relational, um, authentic communication of the gospel that I came to Christ uh, when I was 13. I knew from studying scripture um, that I had jobs to do. I had, I had missions to fulfill. God brought a very strong man into my life. Um, Alan Barnhart loves the Lord. Our plan A was to get married and to spend year one learning to love each other and, and head to an unreached country year two. As we were about to execute on plan A, Alan um, was influenced by some factors um, and an opportunity that, that came across our path. And he proposed that instead of going to the mission field, we go ahead and start our own company. And he had some parameters in mind um, that he thought would please me and please the Lord. And those parameters were that we would choose to live a simple lifestyle. The way we defined that within this culture and these days was to have the income of a staff worker for example, a Camps Crusade staff for an university staff. We didn't have that much when we started, but that would be our cap. The other parameter he had for us was that if the company grew, that we would 
assume that the prophets were the Lord's. We would not assume that we needed to increase our lifestyle, that we needed to change the way we lived, that we would continue to live simply, and that we would use those funds to fund kingdom work. We've had some crazy growth. You know, the company's 27 years old, and for most of those years, the company grew 25% a year every year. So our capacity now is about a million dollars a month and growing. So it's, it's a tremendous um, stewardship responsibility. Um, we do not see ourselves as a foundation. We see ourselves as a funnel. This year's profits will be given away this year. We're very intentional about the giving and the urgency of the giving. Because we want to reach the unreached, the unengaged, 80% of our giving goes to the 1040 window, to the unreached and the unengaged. What we're giving is not ours. What we're giving is simply um, the result of God's blessing, and we are stewarding that for Him. You might think, as you're processing my story, that we did something special. We didn't. We responded to the truth in Scripture about who we are, about whose we are, and just simply tried to consider what's our personal response to that. Our, our real desire is for all to know, um, to have that zero count, that everybody's had a chance and an opportunity to respond to the gospel in a way that they can understand. So this is just an amazing example of somebody who put to death that mindset of scarcity and said, God, I'm going to keep an open hand to receive from you and to give away. So I want to encourage you, set aside some time to pray. And ask God, how can I put to death this scarcity mindset? And ask Him if there's anything that He, even if it's little things, that He might want you to be a little bit more open-handed about. And I promise you, if you step out in generosity, you can trust that the resurrection power of Christ will sustain your life. Because resurrection life creates a community with open hands. Let's pray. Lord, you cast such a powerful vision for your community. Lord, and so we ask for your Holy Spirit now. Fill us. Lord, breathe your resurrection life into us. Put to death our scarcity. And Lord, let us become a community with open hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.